So turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 18. Let's look at John again for a few moments. John chapter 18. Before we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, uh, I want us to consider again the gospel. You know, the Lord's Supper is uh, the way that we profess our faith together. I mean, it's the, we talk about profession of faith, but this is the most basic biblical profession of faith that we come back again and again and say, here's where I stand. I rest in the gospel pictured here. So today we're going to think about the gospel again before we come to the Lord's Supper, but perhaps in a little different terms. Um, we'll find it quite a different place find it here in John 18 in the account of Peter's denial of Jesus. This week I received a magazine called Lifeline, which is a, a magazine from a foreign missions uh, 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 organization. And in this issue, which is all about uh, witnessing, sharing your faith, bring, presenting the gospel to people, they had a little side box, as magazines often do, a little real short uh, article, just an outline actually, uh, where they, in the simplest form, kind of talked about what is the gospel. And it was quite simple. Uh, they said, first there's the bad news. Uh, we're sinful. The wages of sin is death. And then there's the good news. Christ died for sinners. He saves those who trust him. Now that's really the gospel, isn't it? There's the bad news, and then there's the good news. That's kind of the outline that I want us to see this morning. The bad news about ourselves, the good news about Jesus. I think that's what we find uh, in this passage. Well, let me read. You know, we, we took some of the passages and put them together last week to look at Jesus' uh, trial before uh, Annas. And now today, today we're going to look at uh, the denial of Peter. So we start in verse 15, but then after verse 18, we'll skip down to verse 25. John 18, 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You're not one of this man's disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I'm not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. Verse 25. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. As you recall, Jesus had predicted what happened. Two truths I want us to learn from this passage uh, this morning, quite briefly, actually. It's a brief passage, two simple truths. The first is, don't think you could never fall. Don't think you could never fall. You know, the world is littered with the rubble 
of once great Christians who have fallen into some sin, some kind of denial of the Lord. Many of us have, have watched as people we know and love have destroyed themselves by their fall. Or at the very least have left the deep scars of sin that will last a lifetime. And yet, as common as this experience is in the church, as much as we know people by name who've been there, most often our response to that is some form of, I can't believe they did that. I would never let that happen to me. Boy, I would never start down that road. This morning, our text challenges that confidence. Don't think you could never fall. The thing that confronts us with our vulnerability here, I think, is the fact that it's Peter. It's Peter who is reported to have denied Jesus. It's not some nameless nobody. It's not Nicodemus who snuck around late at night so nobody would see him to talk to Jesus, who maybe believed but remained a secret believer. Oh no, it's Peter. Think about that. Peter is the one who had the clearest insight concerning Jesus. Back in Matthew 16, when the disciples were all discussing who Jesus is, and Jesus is asking him, who is it that people say that I am? And they talked about this one and that one and whatever, but it's Peter who saw through all of that by God's grace and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter had the insight. And back in John chapter 6, when Jesus was saying hard things and people were leaving, his disciples were abandoning him in droves and going away because they couldn't take the hard things he was saying. And Jesus looked at the disciples and says, well, you guys, you leaving too? And it was Peter who went right to the bottom line and with perfectly clear understanding said, Lord, to whom should we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. In the midst of all the spiritual confusion in our day, do you have the clear discernment and spiritual insight that Peter had? When everyone else was confused, he understood. And yet in our text we have the sad account of the one who saw so clearly denying so blatantly. That could happen to Peter. Don't think you couldn't fall. Well, if we think about Peter a little more, consider Peter's commitment to Jesus. We saw it back in chapter 13 in the upper room. Jesus told his disciples he was going away and they couldn't come with him. How did Peter respond? Do you remember his response? Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you, Lord. That's when Jesus warned him about this denial. I will lay down my life for you, Lord. 
Have you ever made that kind of commitment to Jesus? Have you ever said to Jesus, no matter what, no matter where, no matter when, I will lay down my life if that's what it takes? Peter did. And yet this most committed disciple denied Jesus. If Peter could forget his commitment so quickly, don't think you could never fall. Oh, and don't, uh, don't make any mistake here. Peter's commitment is not just words. He is zealous. We saw that in the garden just last week when we talked about this, or two weeks ago, when Peter realized that they were about to arrest Jesus. Probably he had been awakened because we know from other passages he was sleeping, but when he realized what was going on, he responded, remember? He pulls out his sword and takes a slice at the head of the high priest's servant, cuts his ear off. And so I ask you, in your zeal for the Lord, would you single-handedly take on a detachment of Roman soldiers and the temple police with your little sword? Don't think Peter's a coward here. Peter's got guts. And yet, if Peter could find himself in a situation where before the comment of a slave girl keeping the gate, he denies the Lord. Don't think you couldn't deny the Lord. One more thing about Peter. He loved Jesus. Oh, how he loved Jesus. How else do you account for Peter's presence in that courtyard? You know, we read from some of the other accounts of Matthew and Mark and Luke that when they arrested Jesus, that finally <clears throat> all the disciples ran, took off. And yet, apparently, and so probably now they're all hiding somewhere. Maybe back in the upper room, behind locked doors. They don't want to be arrested. And yet, here's Peter, and it looks like John probably is the other disciple. Who evidently, maybe ran initially, but then turned around and followed. What's happening? Where is he going? We can't just leave Jesus. We can't just abandon him like that. We've got to go, and the rest of them ran. No, come on, we've got to go. No, the rest of them ran. But they, went later, they followed and in fact, they didn't just follow and set up on the hill with their binoculars to kind of watch. They followed right into the courtyard of the high priest, where John evidently knew someone and could get him in. Right into the courtyard, standing around the fire with the temple police who had just arrested Jesus. What drew Peter there? Why would he put himself at such risk? except his concern for Jesus, the fact that he cared so deeply, his desire to stay close, his love for the Savior. You see, it's easy to criticize Peter, but I must challenge you, as I challenge myself. Do you love Jesus so much that you would walk right into the enemy's camp 
to follow him. Peter did. But there, sadly, he denied the Lord he loved. Now, if Peter could forget his love for Jesus after such bold and courageous actions, don't think that you could never fall. So why did Peter deny the Lord? Why did he do this? Why did he deny that he ever knew Jesus? It's tempting to get all psychological here, to try to analyze what's going on inside Peter's mind. And John doesn't go down that road. He resists that uh, tendency. He makes no no attempt to explain what Peter's thinking or how Peter's thinking or what's going on inside him. He simply records the sad facts of how easily words of denial came from the great, committed, zealous, courageous, insightful, loving disciple of Peter, of Jesus, who was Peter. First of all, the servant girl asked a leading question, a question that in its original Greek grammar implies a negative answer. She didn't just say, are you one of Jesus' disciples? Well, she, she said more, you're not one of those disciples, are you? Well, now, what's the easy answer to that? Oh, no, 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 not me. It was just... And who's she? She's nobody. It doesn't matter what she thinks anyway. You don't want to get into a big theological debate there at the, at the gate with some servant girl and say, oh yes, I am one of the disciples, and what do you think, what do you want, you want to discuss that? You want to make something? No, it just goes easy route. You're not one of his disciples. No, 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 not me. And he went on in. Ooh, how easy that is. We've probably all heard that kind of question. You're not one of those Christians, are you? Oh, oh no, no, no. Well, those people go to church, they're, they're, they're nuts, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they're nuts. It's easy, isn't it? Give the answer that's expected. So Peter goes on in and he's standing around the fire now. It's cold night. Kind of strange because it's this time of year. It's springtime and yet it's a cold night and they're standing around the fire warming himself. And the same question comes up, the exact same question. You don't want to, you don't want his disciples, are you? Now, when we compare this with the other gospel accounts, we find out that there's several people here that are involved in this question. You know how this happens. You're now standing around a coffee room or something, and uh, there are a lot of people, and this question comes out, and who exactly asked the question? You maybe can't even remember. That just so there were a lot of people. And one of the people asking the question is the same servant girl that asked it before. And now here it comes again. Maybe she said something. I, I think he's one of Jesus' disciples. You're not one of Jesus' disciples, are you? Surely you're not one of Jesus' disciples. Oh, no, 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 no. You see, it gets harder now because the little lie at the beginning, well, the only way out is a, is a bigger lie now in front of even more people. And yet it's the easy way out. I mean, he didn't really want to get in. He just wanted to see what's happening to Jesus. He didn't want to get into some big discussion here. It's easier to just say, no, 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 that's not me. And then finally, one of the relatives of the high priest's servant, uh, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had lopped off, looks across the fire 
and directly challenges Peter. Didn't I see you there with him in the olive grove in Gethsemane? Now, you know, I think that if Peter had been directly challenged like this at the beginning, he would have pulled himself together and he said, yes, you did, and if you don't want to make something of it, I'll lop your ear off too. I mean, that's kind of how Peter was. I think he was ready for the direct challenge. But you see, temptation doesn't come as a direct challenge most often. Temptation comes with an innocence of a cute little girl saying, oh, you're not one of those, are you? Oh, no, no, I'm too cool. You do think I'm cool, don't you? <laughs> and then when you're in the mire, the challenge comes. But you've already given it away. You've already denied it. That's how, that's how temptation is. It's so innocent. It's like nothing. Until it's too late. And only then do we find ourselves like Peter having just blatantly denied the Savior. And as if to punctuate it, the rooster crows. And Peter recalls Jesus' warning. John doesn't tell us all we wish we knew about this incident with Peter. In fact, he doesn't even go into all the gory details about how he called down curses on himself and swore with an oath that he never knew. John doesn't say that. John's quite merciful to his friend Peter here. He just kind of puts the facts out. Although Peter, in his account, which as he tells the story to Mark, who wrote it down in Mark's gospel, Peter makes no bones about it. He swore, cursed, let heaven be my witness. I never knew him. Here in John, though, it's just enough for us just to see the reality of the denial and to understand how that points us to our own weakness. For you see, if Peter could fall, you could fall. And I could fall. We do not have more insight than Peter. Our commitment is not greater than Peter's. Our zeal for Christ is not more than Peter's. Our courage to be bold is not greater than Peter's. Our love for the Savior is not more passionate than Peter's. Don't kid yourself. If he could fall, we could fall. So the scripture says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful, lest you fall. This morning I tell you whatever confidence that you had in yourself, whether, whatever certainty you have that you could never deny Christ, Whatever assurance you have that it could not happen to you. Whatever disdain you may have for those that you know who have fallen. 
I call you to abandon it. To cease all faith in yourself. All confidence in your commitment. All, all assurance in the level of your devotion. In, 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 the, in the greatness of your zeal. All faith in your faithfulness. Abandon it. Abandon it. Learn from the great apostle Peter who, uh, who surpassed you once and surpassed me in all of those things. Learn from him who, though he was great, fell miserably. Learn that confidence in your flesh is ill-founded. Don't think you could not fall. Which brings us to the second point we need to learn from this text. And that is that Jesus alone was faithful enough. Jesus alone was faithful enough. You see, if this text is designed to destroy our confidence in ourselves, it must be equally designed to bolster our confidence in Christ. For here it seems that John intentionally draws this contrast. He doesn't just tell about Peter's denial and then tell about Jesus' trial. No, he takes us to the trial of Jesus. And then he says, and then look here at Peter. And then he takes us back to the trial of Jesus. And he says, and look what's going on meanwhile out here, what Peter's doing. John sets before us this clear contrast, as one writer said. So Jesus testifies faithfully while, John, while Peter denies pathetically. Or as another writer says, John has constructed a dramatic contrast wherein Jesus stands up to his questioners and denies nothing, while Peter cowers before his questioners and denies everything. So how serious is that? How serious is it that Peter stood there in the courtyard three times and said, I don't know. Well, Jesus specifically addressed that question sometime earlier. To record it for us in Matthew 10.33, Jesus said, Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before men, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Does that say what it sounds like? Did that say that Peter's disowning of Christ would cause him to be disowned before the Father? That in his denial he forfeited any right relationship with God? Is, is that what that says? That is exactly what Jesus says. That is exactly what Jesus said. And the same thing applies to us. For all the times that we have denied him, acted like we didn't know him, disowned him before men. In other words, unless we have always completely, faithfully confessed Christ, 
We deserve to be disowned. Judgment is on us already. We brought it on ourselves. That's why the second point is so important. That's why I believe John made it stand out for us by intertwining Peter's denial with Jesus' faithful confession. Then we can see clearly that any hope in our faithfulness is ill-founded, but only Jesus confesses faithfully enough to please the Father. Or to put it in the words of J.C. Finton, who I don't know, but I read this, the effect is to make clear that Peter cannot follow Christ until Jesus has died for him. Peter cannot follow Jesus until Jesus dies for him. But you see, that's the gospel. What we could never do for ourselves, because we are sinful and weak in our flesh, no matter how noble our intentions, that Jesus has done for us. He lived righteously, though we don't. He suffered rather than compromised, though we compromise rather than suffer. He was humiliated while we seek to never be humiliated. He was tried all alone while Peter denied him. And we have to. He went to the cross. He adored the full wrath of God. He died there for us. And he did it all alone. Jesus did not have his little support group of 12 disciples. And that's how he made it through. No. John makes it clear that we must strip away any support. Jesus dies alone. He suffers alone. He confesses faithfully. Alone. While the disciples run and hide or swear that they don't know him. Do you see the contrast here? There is no hope in any of our righteousness, in any of our good intentions. There is nothing that we have that's good enough. We are treasonous by nature. Only Jesus, who did it all alone, is enough. That's why he came. Because we needed him so desperately. And so this morning we come to the Lord's table. And this passage sets before us the gospel here. It's a little different passage to see the gospel in than we might expect, but it's the same gospel. Don't think you can never fall. Abandon your confidence in yourself. Look at Peter. You're just like him. You're not as faithful as he was. And yet he fell. Abandon all hope in yourself. That's part of the gospel. That's the bad news. You're not good enough. Jesus alone is faithful enough. You see, when we abandon our hope in ourselves, we find that God has sent his own son 
to bring us the very salvation that we could never have gained. Rather standing before God having to admit that we're bankrupt and that we've denied him, in Jesus we stand before him righteous, having confessed faithfully because his confession is attributed to us. His righteousness is given to us. That's what Jesus has done. When we're unfaithful, he's been completely faithful. He has satisfied the Father in our place so that those who now rest in him instead of themselves stand with his standing before the Father. I'd like to close with the words of a hymn. This hymn was written by Joseph Hart in 1759. It's an invitation to people like Peter, to people like you, people like me, people who have failed miserably, but who understand that Jesus is faithful enough. Hear the invitation of Jesus as we come to the table in a few minutes. Come, ye sinners, poor, wretched, weak, wounded, sick, and sore. Jesus stands ready to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able. He is able. He is able, and he is willing. Doubt no more. Come, you weary, heavy laden, bruised, broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous. Not the righteous. Not the righteous, sinners, Jesus came to call. Lo, the incarnate God ascended, pleads the merit of his blood. Venture on him, venture wholly, let no other trust intrude none but Jesus none but Jesus none but Jesus can do helpless sinners good let's pray thank you dear father for your grace in Jesus I thank you that though we have denied you, though I have denied you, and though you have told us that those who deny you have no hope, thank you that you've not denied us. Thank you that you've remained faithful, Lord Jesus, and that in your faithfulness you give us undeserving sinners life and right standing and peace. Grace that we don't deserve. Lord, we accept with trembling hand, 
with grateful hearts your grace to us this morning. Thank you. And now as we celebrate it in the supper, I pray that you would turn our hearts to you more fully than before.